Welcome to Roman Cola for the soul, a non-judgmental Christian community for people who are brave enough to keep it real. With your host Cindy Felcool, a lady who loves to share stories and likes to laugh at her own jokes. Hi guys and welcome to Roman Color for the Soul. Today I have a really amazing story to share with you from one of my friends. Her name is Charity. One of the things that I love most about Charity is she's so stinking sarcastic <laughs> and we just have always clicked over kind of getting each other's humor. Charity is celebrating 5,000 days sober and the day I'm going to air this on her 5,000th day of sobriety. So that's a super special day for her. And we're going to hear a little bit of her story before the 5,000 days and how, why this is such a special celebration for her. One of the things that I always like to start out with is what is it that you would like to share with my listeners, all the dozens of listeners I have? What would you like to share with them that you think would be meaningful or helpful to them? I would have to say, um, well, there's two programs that help me. And uh, one that I'm actually in right now is Celebrate Recovery. And it's been a huge part of something that's helped me, not just with alcoholism and addiction, but with other things, you know, insecurity, codependency, um, so many other things that I deal with on a daily basis. And it gives you a great support group. And not just a great support group, but a great support group in the name of the Lord. You know, it's a very Christian-based program, and it's a good way to reach out to others and to talk to others. And what was the other program? The other one was His Mansion Ministries up in New Hampshire. I actually was a resident there 10 years ago, and then I served as a mentor for 14 months after that. And um, that is just an amazing program. It's in Deering, New Hampshire, and it's a Christ-centered care facility. It's self-sustaining. It's a nonprofit organization, and it is just literally a daily walk with God. And there are, I came upon some amazing people, and I learned a lot about myself and a lot about the Lord while I was there. So if my listeners wanted to be involved or support either one of those groups, where would they find them? Well, his mansion is hismansionministries.com, um, and you can find out a lot about it on that website. Plus, there's a couple Facebook pages you can also join for them. And then Celebrate Recovery is celebraterecovery.com, and it'll help you find meetings that are near you and other ways to support that program. Okay. So my very first question that I need to ask you is, before I even started my blog, people were asking me, if you call it rum and cola for the soul, isn't that going to be a trigger for people that have alcoholism? And you were actually one of the first people that I went and talked to and asked if it was okay if I could call my blog rum and cola for the soul. So I just want to have this on record. You record it saying... Does that name make you struggle with your alcoholism? Um, no, because it's just a name. I mean, if you put a rum and cola in front of me, you and I would have a problem. <laughs> but calling something rum and cola for the soul, I actually completely understand it. And um, especially reading your blog and your book, it makes perfect sense to what you're trying to get across. So I actually enjoy that. Like I said, it's not a trigger at all. So boom, in your face, <laughs> doubters. <laughs> 
There you have it. There's that humility I love about you, Cindy. <laughs> Such So amazing. Okay. So, <laughs> just wanted to make that clear. Made your I point. <laughs> the second question I have for you is, what kinds of things would you like people to know about alcoholism? Well, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about alcoholism and addiction. Um, my personal belief is that it is genetic, and at the same time, it's still a choice. I've heard the debate about it being disease and not a disease. I really think that what we need that's most important that we remember about alcoholism is, yes, that person has a choice to pick up that first drink, but after that first drink, their choices are gone. There's no moderation. There's really no breaks. There's just no way to stop. Once you're in it, it's very, very difficult. And sometimes adding to that person's pain by criticizing or mocking is not helpful at all. And yes, you may need to walk away from that person. That I agree with because sometimes, but be willing to walk back. Don't walk away forever. Be willing to walk back to that person once they ask you for help. I, I think that's actually a really good point too of, of being able, being willing to walk back because I think a lot of people just take and take and take and take and then they they just feel like they can't take anymore and they wait to that point to walk away and it would be more helpful at the beginning to just go, I don't deserve to be treated like that. When you're ready to treat me better, I will come back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a much more helpful and healthy approach. So that's a very good point. Which leads us into the next question of what else would you like to say to people who love someone with an addiction? I would have to say, just don't stop loving them. But loving them doesn't mean that you have to take their crap, so to speak. You can love them without having to take any kind of abuse or constantly enable them. You can love them in prayer. You can love them by leaving them. And you can love them by coming back to them. But I think that's just the most important thing is to keep loving them, not to give up and not to take it personally because their addiction is about them. It actually has nothing to do with you. It may feel like it has something to do to you, do with you because you're being hurt in it, but it's really about them and their pain. And I think that that's a very good point for Christians to understand too, that, that when we talk about loving everybody and I think sometimes we just throw that word around and don't really know what it means. And then there's different kinds of loving people. And the unconditional love that God called us to is wanting what's best for people. And what's best for an alcoholic is for them to confront their alcoholism and learn healthy ways to deal with it. So I think you would agree with that <laughs> in that loving that person is not enabling them at all. That's, that's an easy way out sometimes to make you feel better, but a truly loving thing is going to make them confront those issues. But that's part of loving an addict mm -hmm. is making them confront that they need to make better choices. But it's also them. important to remember that you can't force them to get help because if you do, it's not for them. It's for you. And again, they, the help needs to come from them. And sometimes it's going to take, they're, they're going to want to, they may want to please you, 
but that's not the best way. It's not true recovery, and true recovery needs to come from them and their willingness to turn to the Lord or to AA or to celebrate recovery or whatever they need to get out of the hole they've dug themselves. So honestly, I think as I talk to you, I'm like asking you to affirm like the decisions of me. Like, like I really care about these people and I let them go. I, I pushed them out of my life. Is oh. that okay, Jerry? <laughs> so what about other people, like other kinds of addictions? What would you say to people struggling with addictions other than alcoholism? You know, that's a really good question. I, when I was at his mansion ministries, One of my biggest struggles was that I'm an alcoholic and an addict, and I feel like when you have that problem, you just fix it. But God put me in a situation where I was with a lot of women with eating disorders. I had, at the time, absolutely no compassion because I didn't understand it. It is something different. It's the addiction to food, the addiction to wanting to be thin, the addiction to your body image. I didn't understand any of that. And I struggled a great, great deal. And because of that, God kept putting me in those situations with those women. And all I can say is that not all addictions are the same. Not every struggle is the same. There's not one proper path for every person There's not one solid map that'll get that person to recovery. Really, all you can do is just try to meet that person where they are. Just love them, even though their struggle is different from you. Try to understand why that woman sitting next to you crying over the fact that she has to eat a muffin. That that's just as as important as you crying over the fact that you can't have a beer. It was something that took me a long time to have compassion and come alongside women in those situations. And it taught me a new love and respect for women in those situations. It's really, I think, you know, before I used to mock it and be like, gosh, you're so skinny. How can that be a problem? But then you realize that they look so much different to themselves and the way you see them and the way even God sees them. And I I joke about it, but I actually do know some amazing women that I work with that have those issues and it is harder for me to relate to because I really can't understand loving alcohol and loving muffins <laughs> so, but I I do understand how you could get to that place because there is so much pressure on women so in your recovery process what was the turning point for you Okay, well, there were a lot of things that happened um, that you would think would be turning points. But the biggest thing would be I had been, I was sober almost two years at this point, but I'd been going through a very severe depression. I had lost custody of my son. Um, I didn't have a home. I didn't have a job. I was staying with friends. And one of my other addictions besides alcohol is I also had a tendency to lie and just make stories up. And I lived in a world that I created for myself because I didn't want to face the world that actually existed. And I had planned my final plan to kill myself. I had written a note to a family. I had been staying with this couple that had 
taken me in and loved me so much and I continued to lie to them and I finally decided I was just going to end my life because it wasn't worth it anymore and I had hoarded some pills and wrote a note and something well God spoke to that woman and had her do something she's never done before and she went into my room and she found the note and she found the pills and her and her husband took me into a separate room and sat me down and I could see the anger in this woman's eyes and the disappointment, and she just railed on me. She just let it all out, yelled at me for probably only five or ten minutes, but it felt like like five or ten hours, and she just lost it. And then, within half an hour later, she's sitting right next to me, holding my hand, comforting me, crying with me, and praying with me. And that was like one of those times when I just saw Jesus face to face. And that was the real turning point. That was unconditional love. It was something I'd never experienced before that, or really that strongly since then. I've experienced little examples of it since then, but it was just amazing to me. And I hold that moment close to my heart when I start to feel that depression come back is that I have, I still, we're not in contact as much as we used to be, but I still have this woman who loved me enough to be mad at me and then still help me within the same, within the same night. And it was a pretty amazing experience. And that was the thing that really, really turned it around and really made me want to stay sober, get help for the depression and get back in my son's life and be a good influence for him. So what was your rock bottom? <laughs> um, so it was lower than that. <laughs> it was, you would think, but it was, I mean, that was part of it, but I lost my son. Um, I couldn't hold a job for more than a couple weeks. I had, my, my family had pretty much given up, which I don't blame them for at all. They did exactly what I was talking about. They walked away when they needed to. And they weren't afraid to walk back when I was ready for them to walk back. But um, that was really it. I think losing my son and not being the person I knew that I could be, the mother, the daughter, the sister, that I knew I could be. How has your relationship with Jesus helped you through all of this? I wouldn't be able to be where I am without my relationship with Jesus. But I also want to add that I had to grow in my relationship to get where I am. When I first became a Christian, I expected to be hit with a lightning bolt and everything to be better, me to be living one of these wonderful lives that I saw my Christian friends living. And that didn't happen. Um, so I continued to drink and I continued to lie. And it wasn't until his mansion when I finally realized that a relationship with Jesus takes some serious work and it can be really difficult. And at the same time, it can be so amazing and so beautiful. And since I've had a relationship with Jesus, it hasn't just been the relationship with him that has helped me get to where I am, but it's been the people that he put in my life that has helped me. It's like every stage of my recovery and even looking back before his mansion, he has put a family of people in my life 
that have always been there, prayer warriors, um, people who aren't believers. You know, a really good example is my boss and a dear friend of mine who all she has said to me about drinking is she will kick my butt if I ever have a drink. But that's actually very helpful. We hang out at, outside of work sometimes and I feel completely safe with her because I know she will kick my butt if I ever pick up a drink. Um, and as sarcastic as it sounds, I need that from her, you know? And then I have other people who just seem to know when I need something or that I can be completely honest. I, you know, I have another friend that I'm able to text and say, I want a drink so bad right now. And she'll text me back or even call me and be like, how can I pray for you? Why? What can we do? And one of the best things is prayer when it comes to my recovery. I know that whenever I'm in a tough spot, I just need to ask for prayer. And after a while, I can feel the prayers. I know when someone is praying for me. I can feel when the Lord has his hands on me because of someone's prayers. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I thought of another question. Okay, good. I think we talked about this kind of, but I was going to ask you about how do you see other people now? Like how has all the things that you've been through impacted the way you see other people? You mean other addicts? Or just really people People with all kinds of struggles. Where you can talk about whichever one you want to talk about. (laughs) I think, you know, when I'm able to come outside myself... Because I I talk a good game about being able to understand when other people, you know, and I'll say things to others. Like when someone else is angry, it's 99% about them and not about me. Um, But sometimes when I'm in those situations, I make it 100% about me. Um, I think, but it does help me see that when somebody is going through something or when somebody is angry at you or lashing out at you or not talking to you or has cut you off completely... It's about them. It's not your fault. It's not about you. It's really what they're going through and what they're struggling with at that time. And it goes back to loving them enough that when they're ready, that you can walk back into their life without rubbing in the fact that they were wrong. You don't have to rub it in. Well, you treated me this way, so no, I'm never coming back. It's not important. Just let them come to you. Um... I do, I do struggle sometimes with judgment, but I really, I have a heart for wanting to just love on people, even no matter how poorly they treat me. I want to be able to just offer them love and working in customer service doesn't make that all that easy sometimes. And sometimes my sarcasm can get me in trouble. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it can make people laugh. Sarcasm is love. (laughs) Yes. I, my, my boss has said to me sometimes when she's overheard, she's like, how do you not have more complaints? And I'm like, because they think I'm kidding. And it really comes down to just my heart is I want to love people, but sometimes my words don't come across that way. And you mentioned something earlier when we were talking before. You talked about nobody could punish an alcoholic as much as they punished themselves. I don't think you said that while we were recording. I don't think I did either, but you just did, so we're good. Now, That's, right? a really good <laughs> That's a really good point that I made that you made earlier. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it was, I think what you said is, what can you say to someone who loves the alcoholic and the addict? And that's that's very true. You can't, we, we punish ourselves so much. We, there's nothing 
that you can do to us that we aren't already doing to ourselves. I talk to people a lot about this in working with people um, overcoming a lot of different issues. And one of the things I always say is the big difference between shame and guilt and shame is defining yourself by your mistakes. And sometimes people don't feel guilty about the things they're doing. They feel shame. A drug addict feels like that's all they are. So if you talk to them about how bad their addiction is, sometimes they'll defend it and be defensive and you and people will react to that by trying to explain to them how bad the addiction is. But what they need to know, and this is what I feel like, but you can tell me, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. <laughs> I know it's the need way off base. But what I feel like is that they need to know that they're better than that, that God created them for more. And when they start to see themselves as capable of being better, then they can feel guilty. Yeah. And they can face that guilt because that's not who they are. Mm-hmm. If you think it's who you are, then all you have is defensiveness. Yes. And I, I, I agree that it's good to feel guilty. It's just not good to dwell on it. You know, feel, feel that guilt, go through whatever you need to, to get through that guilt and then move on. Don't dwell on it. And sometimes the biggest person, you know, in the steps, one of them is, you know, asking for forgiveness and forgiving others. And the person that an alcoholic or an addict or, or myself had to forgive first was myself. That was the hardest person to forgive was myself and letting those things go. And that's a daily walk. I have to forgive myself every day because I'm still a screw up and I still mess things up. And sometimes I even go back to things I messed up 10 or 15 years ago and I let it get in my head. And then I got to remember, oh, wait, I'm forgiven for that. I need to let that go. And so that's that's the biggest thing. So another question that I want to ask you about is... I know that you find a lot of support in church, but have you found it's been a struggle to be real with who you are in church? Not in the church I presently go to, no. I have in past churches, um, but right now I belong to South Point, and I experience unconditional love with almost every person I encounter there. There's never been a time that, that I struggle with being who I am. Um, in other churches where there has been legalism and um, people believe that you're supposed to do things a certain way or believe a certain way or condemn certain sins a certain way, that I found a struggle with being myself. But in the church I'm in, I can totally be myself. And that's one thing I really love about it. And I would guess that churches that host Celebrate Recovery, <laughs> You can't have a lot of addicts in your church and be too uptight and legalistic, is my guess. (laughs) Well, I think that's one thing, too, is that a lot of people don't know that even in the legalistic churches, there are a lot of people that need help and they're afraid to ask. There are a lot of people that are addicts or struggling with a porn addiction, alcoholism, an eating disorder, all those things, having an affair, but they can't tell anybody because they'll you know, they could be kicked out or condemned for that and not really helped. And I think that every church has the same amount of sinners. It's just how we react to those sinners and come alongside and love them. It's that whole thing that I talk about all the time, the relationship versus religion. Mm -hmm. And anytime it's religion, 
you're going to be fake and cover up the things that because none of us are good enough to impress God. Yes. Here's another really important question. I might even put this at the beginning. It's so important for me. <laughs> Have you seen the show Moms? Yes. Yeah. What do you think of that show? I adore that show. I absolutely yes, <laughs> adore that show. I just watched last night's episode this morning. And I think the main character, just her growth, even in recovery. I mean, the show's like, what, six years old now? Granted, somehow she's lost both her children and is completely not involved in them. But I think that's because the show evolved to focus on these five women going through recovery together and their yeah. different stories and how they're able to come alongside each other and how even the older woman who has had more sobriety, even she needed to be taken down a peg and realize that we all still have struggles. Even if you've been sober 36 years, things can knock you off your feet and you need to get back up again. So did you see the episode where Christy um, realized that she had also a gambling addiction? Yes. I bawled when she was sitting there and she's like, I can't be this broken. And her mom said, yes, you can. And you'll get through it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Another episode that was from last season was when the group, the five women in the group were fighting over something. You know, I think it was over an, another woman not enabling them as much with money as she had in the past. And Christy finally breaks down because she'd had a drink in front of her. She'd been struggling with not getting into law school and all these things not going her way. And just seemed like everything she worked for was falling apart. And she finally just blurted out, I almost drank tonight. And like a family, they just forgot their struggles, forgot their fights, and just rallied around this woman who really needed them. And I think that's true in every family and every bit of recovery. And I am a huge advocate for telling your secrets. If you want to drink, if you want to take a pill, if you want to go to the casino, if you want to watch a porn flick, um, if you want to go binge and then throw up, tell somebody that that thought is in your head. Don't be ashamed that the thought exists because you're an addict and those thoughts exist. Tell somebody because the devil is in your secrets. And if you tell the secret, it actually takes away, it, it is like, it gives so much relief. It takes away 90% of the problem. Counting okay. question, right? Is that so first, the or? last question is, <laughs> so 5,000 days, that's, that's how many years? Uh, 13 and a little over a half. My, I my sobriety used a calculator dates, and figured that out. My sobriety date's April uh, 25th, 2005. So, so why do you count the days? Um, you know, I get, I get asked that quite often when I say, you know, I have 3000 days, 4,000 days, or, you know, if somebody asked me, yeah, how long have you been sober? And instead of saying 13 years, I'll be like 4,974 days. Were you days. one of those moms that with your son, you were like, he's 28 months old. <laughs> no, once it hit a year, well, I actually say after 18 months, I started counting, you know, you go after a year, you go 18 months and then two years. But I would say, yeah, after a year, I stopped counting the months and I never really counted the days or the weeks. I would say he was okay. one month or, All you right. know. So um, why do you count how many days sober? Because I think it's important. You know, it, it's a really, it can be a corny answer sometimes where that old song, uh, count your blessings, which I know drives some people crazy. I have one friend who equates it to the small world song, you know. Uh, count your blessings, count them one by one. Like she just wants to run away whenever she hears that song. But I think it's important because it is, that is one tangible blessing I can count on a daily basis. 
And this may be like an old AA cliche, but my my worst day sober is still better than my best day drunk. And I just want to thank God for every day that he's given me. So not only do I celebrate my year milestones, but I celebrate every thousand day milestone because I think that's important. Um, not just for me, but hopefully it'll reach someone else. You know, when I share it, hey, I have 5,000 days. Thank the Lord for every blessing he's given me that maybe, you know, it can help that person that's had 10 days or 15 days, you know, or even has reached that 90 days. Um, and maybe they can think, wow, 5,000 days. Maybe I can, if somebody that screwed up got there, maybe I can get there, you know, and just, I think it's just important for me. It's how I'm able to stay sober. Because now it's at the point, like, do I really want to throw 5,000 days away just for a beer? And another important question I have for you is, who's that friend? Can I follow around? Count your blessings. <laughs> Fortunately, she doesn't time. live around here. She lives up in New Hampshire. And no, yeah. she would kill me. Something that we didn't talk about was how you became a Christian. Oh. <laughs> that might um, be part of your testimony. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was... That was a very persistent friend. Well, I mean, to be honest, there were little things, seeds that were planted along my way, along my journey through life, but the most was this friend. And it's actually one of the ways I believe in witnessing is that she didn't shove it down my throat or evangelize to me. She just lived her life as a Christian. And even though I was a non-believer and walked in a lot of sin, <laughs> She continued to be my friend through that and loved me. She invited me to church. She even tricked me a few times to get me there. I think like she promised cake or stuff and it, I was, I would come and I made friends with her church friends. And it wasn't until after I became pregnant and I was really struggling with how I was going to do this, with how I was going to be a mom, if I was going to be a good mom, if I was good enough to be a mom. It was one night in church and I just said, I, I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you to be in my life. And I talked to a pastor that night and he said the prayer with me and I accepted Jesus in my heart. But like I said, it was still three years before I really started walking with him because I was still doing the wrong thing. But most of it goes credit to that friend who just stood beside me through so much and continued to stand beside me even after you know, I continued to do the wrong thing. She was right there. That's really how it came about. 5,000 days. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Are, it's all you, God. Are you doing a big party or something? Um, and if so, why wasn't I invited? No, no <laughs> I'm not. It, um, I'm not doing a party. I'm That's actually, okay. You don't drink I'm at actually your party, working so. that night. Yeah, I know. All you're going to do is open up a keg. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Such a good friend. I'm actually working a very long day that day. I uh, come by and bring you a blade or something. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm just kidding. That's um, an hour drive. This is really my celebration is sharing my story. Is you airing this on that day. That's my celebration. So share it with everybody. So <laughs> I will. I'll tell as many people as I can. And if you're listening and you're friends with Charity, you should share this because this is her celebration. You heard that. It's, <laughs> that's totally not self-serving on my part <laughs> because I care so much about Charity and Aww. I want people to help her celebrate by promoting my podcast. <laughs> I, I see the selflessness there. Thank you. I'm truly <laughs> Christ-like in that right there. So is there anything else you'd like to say? I really can just say if you're at the beginning of that journey, 
or you haven't yet started the journey of recovery yet, it looks way more difficult than it is. Turning to God and giving it to Him and walking beside Jesus with it has been the easiest part for me. Um, But for those who don't have that relationship with Jesus, you can still do it. There are people to ask for help, and there are a lot of resources out there. Unfortunately, no matter how hard you try, it's not something you can do on your own, whether you turn to Jesus, any other higher power, a best friend, you need help. So just be able to reach out and ask for help. So guys, if any of you are struggling with addiction or you have someone that you love or are very close to that's struggling with addiction, please reach out to us. Um, check out the resources that Charity talked about earlier. I'll have those linked on my website. And also just reach out to us and continue the conversation through either my website or my Facebook page and let us know how we can be a support to you. I would love to continue the conversation and be praying with you and whatever we can do to help support you. Reach out to us. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Remember, life is messy and God is good.